0: I was just I was honestly just kind of confused as to where you're going with the whole conversation. Right. It just felt like a rant was a little bit uh, triggered by some of the comments.
1: Welcome everyone to the Faith Recovery podcast, where three failed pastors, Alex Kent and Nathan, yeah. are seeking to recover from bad ideas about God and recover what's really good about the gospel. Uh, Alex is out today, but we have someone standing in for him. It's one of our many, Thousands of listeners, Jeremy Williams, is our listener. (laughs) We heard from Jeremy, and we we invited him to come and sit down with us and do a uh, sort of a follow up on our most recent release, our podcast that came out. Gosh, I should have looked it up. What was the title of it? It was Faith Like Yeast, I believe. In our series, in this this episode was Faith Like Yeast, good. And we heard from Jeremy, and we thought, hey, let's have a conversation about that episode. So we're going to hand the mic to Jeremy and ask him to give us some feedback and have some discussion following on uh, some of the themes
2: in that episode.
1: I'll do my best. (laughs) Do it, yeah,
2: (laughs) or come up with something new, whatever.
0: Jeremy,
1: how did the episode strike you? First of all, thank you for listening.
0: Yes, uh, I have enjoyed the podcast and um, especially the stories and learning um, just about the journey that you guys have been on. and. I think over the past few years, there's a lot of us out there who have been, you know, chewing on our faith in a new way Mm -hmm. and, um, being able to process that and listen to you guys process that, um, as failed pastors, Mm -hmm. um, you know, with some deep experience, even before maybe the past couple of years that have hit a lot of people, Mm -hmm. um, in, in hard ways, you guys kind of were able to forge that many, many years ago. So. Um, leaning on that experience has been really good, but, um, yeah, so I've really enjoyed that. And I think hearing, uh, your perspective, um, on that has been really, uh, really helpful for me and the way that you process, you know, the, the Bible and what it says and how that reflects to, you know, just kind of our modern American society and, uh, how that's sometimes even co-opted, um, by Christianity and how our society and Christianity kind of overlap in some good and some not so good ways maybe mm-hmm. um but uh but yeah so last week uh struck me a little bit differently i felt like it was um maybe a little bit more uh uh what's the word um just felt a little bit more like nathan's hot take on some things yeah
2: well i thought most of these things were but it's okay (laughs) (laughs) so
0: in what way
1: so what was what was it about the content of last week's episode that seemed more like nathan's hot take than uh, i
0: think that it's easy to be i think it's easy in this modern climate to very quickly jump into the political spectrum of things versus let's look let's look at and think about what the bible says and how that uh, affects our personal and daily lives and our personal faith. Um, and, uh, and it's just so easy and so tempting for all of us to fall into that. I have to keep myself in check all the time because I know, um, that, uh, that, that Jesus doesn't, Jesus didn't ride in on a white horse and come to take over the throne by force or by politic. He came in riding on a donkey uh, and humbled himself and and died, and so constantly keeping that posture, i believe um to uh to you know love our enemies and to be willing to die for even those who spit on us and mm-hmm. nail us to uh you know a couple of pieces of wood so um I think having that humble posture yeah. is is really important, and yeah, we need to understand the political environment that we're in and we need to have opinions and we need to go vote um but we also i think need to be very careful in the same way we need to be careful about uh you know sexual temptation and guarding our eyes or guarding our hearts so to speak and i'm not even Mm -hmm. sure how i feel about that phrase anymore but Mm -hmm. um but also you know or money obviously like being have to be very careful with how we Think about an approach and obsess over money and possessions. Uh, and I think we need to take a similar approach, maybe, mm-hmm. to uh, how we approach politics as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, all that being said, uh, I have thoroughly. By the way, I
1: think I agree with you. And I think Nathan does, too. So I'm, do. I'm still listening for where the disagreement lies. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, well, what was
0: the specific I'm, I'm a people yeah. pleaser, so I'm sugarcoating no, it, it no, here. Come at me. I up the context was important. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so so uh so Nathan your the podcast last podcast episode um as I was listening to it immediately you know started to get triggered a little bit. Oh no. And um That's good though. Thank you for sharing that. That's And I so you know and so y- you made a few comments and I thought, man Okay, Nathan's really bringing it today, (laughs) unfiltered. Nathan, this is good. Uh, I do, I do not agree with some of these things he's saying, but I want to listen. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. I want to listen and I want to learn and be open-minded. And I think that open-minded posture is, is important for all of us. So, um, I'm, I'm like, I'm gonna get, get through this. And then honestly, it just kept, kept going, kept getting worse. Yeah, you know, and and to be perfectly honest, it felt like, uh. For the first time, in my opinion, maybe of all the podcast episodes, it was an open mic night for Nathan. It was a rant. (laughs) Man, I thought it always was. was, Yeah, I endured that. And it, it felt like you were making a lot of statements as fact that maybe were theory or opinion. Um, and, uh, it actually did a little bit of looking up on some of the statements you made and they seem to be inaccurate, um, awesome. which yeah. not certainly not trying to point fingers sure. at you made this statement and it was wrong. Like you were just trying to make a point, pulling something out of your head. That's perfectly acceptable. But I will, I will say, I think it is important, you know, specifically you're making some comments about, uh, Muslims and kind of their. Uh, the history, current history of them in Europe and kind of starting to become a more populous portion of the minority population. And like, you made a comment specifically about how I think, uh, the average Muslim family has eight kids or something. And yeah. quick fact check on that in Europe, the average Muslim household, including parents is 4.1 people. Okay. Um, so that would be two adults and 2.1 kids.
2: Cool. Yeah, I'm just quoting another video that I saw, yeah, eons, eons ago. So, so yeah. I wonder, yes, if, uh, I wonder though white. if so
1: in, in more of like in Africa or in 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 the Middle East, it, I would guess that the families are larger there. Exactly. Than the
0: West. So where that statistic probably came from is it did say that, um, and I pulled this from the internet. So who knows? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, it did say that the average Muslim household in Africa is eight people. Okay. So, again, that would include the adults, but, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, so that, that's probably kind of where that number yeah. came from. good. Good corrective. Um, so, yeah, and, and, again, not trying to point little holes in everything you said. No, that's good. I think that it's important, and, you know, um, there were a few comments that you made that I felt like you used very pointed language, triggering words. Um, like, at some point, you I can't remember the word you said about the Muslims kind of infiltrating mm-hmm. Europe. I, uh I can't remember. I'm sorry, I can't remember sure. the word that you yeah. used, but it was just a very point, kind of like bullet of of a word um that felt like it it came from some sort of uh, you know, trying to stir people up versus let's have a discussion on sure. something. Um and then yeah, and just to bring it all home with the Muslim uh conversation, it felt like I was just I was honestly just kind of confused as to where you're going with the whole, with the whole conversation. I felt like you brought it home a little bit, uh, fairly well at the end of the podcast. Um, but, uh, but yeah, at the end of the day, um, it was, it just felt like a rant was a little bit, uh, triggered by some of the comments that felt more, uh, like kind of cherry picking of, of stats than, um, than maybe fully accurate. And, um, and then, yeah, I would say at the, at the end of the day, at the conclusion, I potentially disagree fundamentally with the statement that, um, I don't know, how did you kind of sum up the, the conversation around? I don't remember. Yeah, they, uh, they, yeah, I was just saying that what's the, your paraphrase?
2: Um, the, we, we covered a lot of ground and it, it definitely was a rant. Most of it's just because. We don't do a ton of research in advance. And it's 6.30 in the morning when we record. Yeah, we're just, we're just pulling it, you know, but, um, and we missed a failed pastor. So apparently I, I need Alex here to counterbalance me. So, but, uh, and so I think, man, I'm, I'm super opinionated and I will, if you let me out of the cage, here I come. And I was telling Kent that because Ken was reminding me to just chill. And I'm like, and, and he's like, I know, you know this. And I was like, I do, but thanks for the reminder because. I need that a lot. Yeah. And, um, most of what I was expressing in that was trying to come at it from the perspective of right-wing people in Europe. I'm, I'm asking, mm. what will you do? You secularists in Europe as, and we certainly know that the Muslim population in Europe has been growing Yeah, for, you know, for whatever reasons and whatever dynamics, if it's immigration, if it's birth rates, uh, whatever it is, but we know that there is a concern, I think, among many in the right wing, especially white right wing in France, people who would otherwise say that they are liberal in their thinking that they're at least progressive and stuff. But now it seems that the country is swinging, at least they're entertaining more nationalistic notions. And, And so my challenge wasn't I'm not saying that there shouldn't be more Muslims in Europe. I'm saying what will secularists do if they're afraid of Sharia law becoming Mm -hmm. the dominant force in their country that secularism doesn't have within it, the fortitude, the basis Mm -hmm. that it demonstrates that these values are free floating because they're easily pushed out of the way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So. I think to um, kind of bring it back uh, across the pond to, to yeah. you know, our side um, and maybe, yeah, to lean into the political uh, piece of it slightly. Um, I, you know, it sounds like you're saying that uh, the secular world doesn't have the fortitude to create a, a whole and just society, you know, for the long term. So left to their own devices, we would become Mad Max. Or the book of Eli, where well, in a you know, vacuum, they
2: might as long yeah. as there's affluence and there's no pressure, then I think they can go on forever. But that's not the world that we live in, and I think that's why we've been so shocked about Russia's provocations because I think hmm. secular secularists assume and they live in a world where they assume everybody shares their values, yeah. And when somebody like Putin secretly, you know, I mean, yeah. for, what 30 years is sitting back there. Waiting for his moment. I mean, this invasion was at least 20 years in the making. You can hear speeches of him and stuff like that previous, where he's very much about recovering kind of this great empire. And we don't have a place for that kind of a thinking, but but it, at least secular liberal thought doesn't have a counter argument. Really. We don't have a reason we say, Putin, you cannot invade Ukraine. And he's like, why not? That, you know, it's just, why not? So I think that's what I, what I'm saying isn't that these values aren't robust or wouldn't exist. I'm saying they can't exist if somebody who doesn't share them puts pressure on them, yeah. that they will eventually either retreat or become reactionary to the point that they will violate the, the proponents of them will violate those very values so that. It, that's, you know, when I was saying, I said, it doesn't have the internal fortitude in that it can't just stand there stalwart and resist, nor does it have the external fortitude in that it can't convince people who don't already share it, who haven't been educated in it to adopt it.
0: Yeah. So my, my main thought, um, was that, you know, I believe that we are created in the image of God. And so, yes, we do have sin in us. Um, although you know, that's a whole nother conversation because are we, are we sin? Is that what flows through our veins? Or, you know, as it says in first John, you know, he who confesses his sin, um, you know, uh, will become faithful and just and purifies from all unrighteousness. can't remember the exact quote of the verse, but you know, it doesn't say like you have to extract the sin from your veins. It just says when you sin, confess your sin. Um, and and God will, will you know be faithful to that and um and so i think our modern evangelical perspective sometimes is that i'm a wretch i am nothing but sin coursing through my veins and the only right. mm-hmm. the only hope i have in life is the blood of jesus and so but i look at it from a different perspective and say we are created in god's image and god is beautiful and god is holy and so Yes, we uh, we have a bent towards sin, but we also have a bent toward the holiness of God flowing through our veins, and yeah. and so I would I would argue that even those who are not Christians or those who are secularists or atheists also have the image of God flowing through their veins, and as society grows becomes more educated, we you know remove uh, larger problems and can start just like any system, you know, uh, as an engineer, you know, you, you start off by building the system, then you fix the bugs. And over time you, you iterate and make a better and better system. I, I see our society as being, you know, if it was led by, uh, you know, through Christian values or through secular values, whatever that is. And, um, it's, it's, we're working, you know, it's, by the people, for the people, for a more perfect union, right? And so, yeah. you know, the, well, that's an
2: Enlightenment statement. That's a that's a value state. It's a humanist statement. Yeah. If you say "by the people for a more perfect union," you're you're assuming, and and I think rightfully so, the kind of imago dei that there's there's good in human beings,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and that that that's going to continue to push forward, attempt to push forward. Is that kind of what you're saying?
0: I think so. Yeah. Are you counter countering that? Oh, argument? no, oh, not okay. necessarily. I mean, I'm not saying it's, it's false. I,
2: I guess I would say as individuals, yes, as collectives no. Mm. that, um, the saying that power corrupts has not been disproven yet. Yeah. Um, and yet how does, how can we imagine a society existing without power being in the hands of some? So whether it's in a social club or a church or a county or a state or a nation, wherever there is power up for grabs, then corruption is waiting at the door. um, If it's not there in the moment and then ethics morality becomes that by which the individual or the minority can counter the corruption that's inherent in the power dynamics. So when somebody has. To say, they have all the votes or they have all the guns, then they begin to enforce their righteousness on somebody else, Mm -hmm. which becomes oppression. Yeah. And so that's kind of what I'm saying is, is that without the kind of fortitude that would allow the individual to stand before the lions Mm -hmm. or to be burned at the stake or whatever, without that So in a purely secularist mindset, if you were raised and and you were, you know, it was drummed into your mind, there is no God when you die, this is it. And I say, Hey, the government has told us that we're gonna have to go and and we need to relocate and we're going to, um, you're moving onto native American lands. They tell your family that, and that they're going to give you a job and healthcare and everything. But you, but you have to move. You've been selected in a random lottery that you have to move because we're going to appropriate all the native American lands and we need X amount of families. And your choices are go and live in native American lands or be split up and live in a prison or be executed. Let's just say that now Mm -hmm. I'm assuming morally you would say, I don't think it's right for me to go and participate in displacing native Americans, especially since they were here first. Our government already made agreements with them. We've given them this land. I shouldn't be a part of that. Now, are you going to, are you going to resist or are you going to comply if this life is all you have and let's say you're the dad in that scenario,
0: will you? Yeah. That's an interesting question. I don't, I don't know that I have an immediate.
2: Well, no matter most people, no matter how firmly you believe in the rights of the individual and in, um, not oppressing and in championing marginalized people, you believe that in your core, most people are going to move. Yeah. And that's kind of what I'm saying is, is that without the gospel as this North star, without something like though, you know, though it cost me my life, though. It cost me my family, though. It cost me my livelihood and my well-being and my reputation. I'm still going to go this way. That's kind of what I'm saying. And I, and when I'm expressing that about Muslims, I'm really just talking about. The feelings of fear and concern that exist within the people in Europe, the Western Europeans who are there who are experiencing neighborhoods being encroached and taken over and they're wanting to push back. Yeah. And so can they resist their own biases, mm-hmm. their own xenophobia? Or will they give into it? And should they, should they retain their kind of liberal values? Will they be able then to accept that certain zones in France are going to be under Sharia law, that in certain places in France, if you try to steal from a fruit stand, someone's going to cut your hand off. Are you going to be okay with that? Are they liberal enough to embrace that? Right. But wouldn't that then put it in a dilemma because it's not very liberal to cut somebody's hands off. So. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, that's kind of what I'm saying is, is that without this fortitude, can the individual stand against the society? Because as I see history, whenever power is in the hands of people, corruption is very, very close by. And Ed, to your point that the real place of power that we have as Christians, and this has been a thread through the past four podcasts, is that the gospel calls us to resign power hmm that we do not organize. We do not form blocks. We do not boycott. We do not lobby. Uh, we don't advocate. We don't push as a block for a particular public policy, because that would be the exertion of power on other people. And that is the antithesis of Jesus. Yeah. So that's my rant, I guess, is that we're I'm against Christians grasping at power because we, in, yeah. or we already have relinquished our profession
0: and I a hundred percent agree that we should have that posture. Um, and we should have, have a faith to say, you know, we want to be, uh, faithful day to day in, um, in our personal lives, um, and expressing, you know, Jesus's love to those around us and, and yeah, not trying to throw our weight around and, and by acquiring power as a, a block, uh, you know, a political block, so to speak. Um, what is your take Nathan on, uh, the more general idea of kind of separation of church and state in that kind of sense?
2: Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that the secular state is ordered by God and ordained by God. And that when Christians try to impose Christianity on that, we have become antichrist. Hmm. Paul says that the, uh, that the powers that be, as we say in the, in the older translations are ordained by God. And he says, when you pay taxes, you give to those who offer their service in full time to God. Uh, and I, this was on about three or four podcasts ago that there is no, there is no analog in the gospel system to tithing mm-hmm. except for paying your taxes and that the Roman The Roman soldiers on the street, the people that I think a lot of Jews and perhaps Christians would have seen as their enemies, Paul is saying, these are the Levites Mm -hmm. and you are offering your tithe when you pay your taxes. So that, that seems to fly in the face of a lot of the religious, right? Crap that (laughs) I have seen that, that we're going to force the state to bend to Christian agendas. We're going to demand religious rights. None of that. I can't find that. Yeah. What I see is is that Paul saying, you need to be a holy nation and a holy nation, the way you are, that the way you represent the gospel and God as a nation, as a block is as individuals submitting, doing good, being the best slave your master has being the best citizen, the most, um, helpful participatory compliant that they aren't, you aren't a pain in the neck to them. And so they have no reason to oppose the gospel because of you. Yeah. So that, I I think that, so my concern, and I know that that's what it sounds like at times is that I'm not concerned whether Muslims move into a area and do what they want to do. You're not
1: concerned to preserve, uh white european heritage in europe or america absolutely not or the cultural traditions um no. even if even if you might say those cultural traditions are by and large better because they're more informed by the gospel um you might think that i might think yeah. that but um that that they've produced more progress and human flourishing than other cultural traditions have sure. that are not informed by the gospel even if you believe that you're not arguing to protect and defend these uh, these national identities or these cultural traditions. Right, yeah. When you speak, as you did, in a way that may have sounded kind of anti-Muslim. Right. You were trying to represent the concerns of secular people in those sure. societies who are a part of
2: white European heritage. Yeah, I just want to let, I guess, them know that they are sawing the branch off that they're sitting on and they don't know it. And that's fine. They can do that if they want. But you have to have... You have to have a reason why you believe a thing. And you can't just assume that because you believe it, other people believe it. And if you're going to sit across from the table and try to convince somebody of a thing, there has to be a basis behind it, Mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, all people are created in the image of God. But if you're having a conversation with somebody that doesn't share that belief on an ideological level, you may walk away thinking, well, they'll hash it out and they'll come and they'll find their better angels and they'll make better decisions. But you certainly can't convince them to make other decisions on that basis,
0: yeah, if they don't share it, so um, to pivot slightly uh another uh, another theme uh from last week was uh the big c word hmm. capitalism capitalism. I don't remember that one and what was from, that um, time yeah. Yeah. yeah so you uh you made a lot of kind of kind of comments, yeah. yeah, you know, around commerce and um yeah, kind of how. The idea of, yeah, the Puritan work ethic from the past allowed a, us to create a, a society of commerce. And um and and honestly, my initial reaction was you were saying that as a good thing, as if um, the world we're currently in has developed to a perfect place. And I know no, 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 you okay. weren't saying that. I'm just saying my interpretation is that it has developed to this perfect place. And it's all in thanks due to the Puritan work ethic, so to speak. And. And I know that wasn't your point, but you could you could construe construe sure. to that. But, um, but yeah, I think there was there in my opinion, um, as someone who does not see, uh, capitalism as our say, you know, our Lord and Savior. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, you know, I felt like I was able to pull out a lot of, uh, pieces of your last week's rant. Um, that it felt like you were, um. You know, putting a lot of st- stock in in our uh, um, the state of our American society and the good things that that capitalism has brought. And uh, you know, you even mentioned you you know, Kent asked what what should someone do on a personal level, and you said you know, be a good worker, contribute to society. Um, and uh, my initial reaction is there are a lot of people who are doing that faithfully, and that's great. Uh, but my, you know, my thought is what about all of the, the business leaders and the business owners and the CEOs and the executives who, um, you know, who are not doing that. And I think you mentioned again, you know, how does the gospel, uh, interlace into our society to keep us on the straight and narrow, you know, and you, uh, kind of said, if it's there, then these people, people who are leaders, executives, owners will make the right decision and, and faithfully transact item a for dollar b right uh but you know i would argue that no um you know substantial uh commercial transaction in america happens without a team of lawyers behind it um i you know i have spent a portion of my career looking at 40 page legal documents arguing those with you know with lawyers in disputes and um negotiating those with business partners And it's, you know, in, and every single time you learn something and then with the next contract, you update it and you fix those loopholes. And so, uh, in, in that scenario, I would say, um, I guess my, my point is that our society based on capitalism, there's no hope if we just rest it on good moral values and, um, uh, you know, people with altruistic pieces and so just like we have to have checks and balances on political power, uh, which in some ways, side note, I am blown away at the foresight of of our founding fathers to create the system of checks and balances. I'm like... Because it, power does corrupt. Because power does corrupt. And and I think we're even seeing how that checks and balance system is trying to get uh, manipulated a little bit right now, maybe. But, uh, but still, the idea that there's three separate... Um, groups that all want all the power. And so because they're all three so power hungry, they they automatically keep each other checked and balanced. And um, maybe we got a little lucky. Maybe they had a, a random idea and we just got lucky or maybe they were super smart. But uh, just as a side note. The founders
1: had good insights into human nature.
0: Yeah, exactly. And yeah. so um, and I think instead had they said, we all need to have a love your neighbor Christian value, uh, to create this great society. And then they handed over the keys that would have spiraled out of control very quickly. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, you know, from the perspective of commerce, from the perspective of, of checks and balances, I think that there, um, is maybe some cognitive dissonance in You know, like kind of the general conservative perspective is, is don't restrict commerce, you know, um, give them unfettered free market uh, abilities. Um, But then we also say, like, all have fallen short and are sinful. And so I feel like there is some cognitive dissonance on that kind of right side perspective to say, we are all left to our own devices going to fail, but, uh, also like don't restrict anything or, um, government stay out of my legal contracts. Um, but, um, but yeah, so, um, those were some of the thoughts that I felt like you were maybe kind of subconsciously hinting at (laughs) in, uh, in some of that conversation around, um, how, uh, yeah, our are not, you know, if let's just have this society, uh, have a free market society and then, um, you know, it'll all, it'll all work yeah. out in the end. Right. Yeah.
2: Well, I think I just, I was unclear and left some bad, uh, perceptions. I don't have a position, economic position, uh, as a Christian. My, my, what I'm advocating for is, is that if you want to have commerce in a society, you're going to need to presume values in the other person. That they're at least going to follow through on the contract or whatever, because it's not a society can't possibly litigate everything. We can't possibly enforce everything that a society that runs entirely on law to keep its citizenry under control will crumple under the weight of that, that If the police are policing me, who's policing the police and then who's policing them? So, and basically, I'm not advocating for one economic model over another. Uh, Obviously, Acts 2 would be the kingdom economy where justice, individual flourishing um, are paramount. Mm -hmm. At the same time the realities of the world that we live in are necessitate things like big contracts and lawyers and all that we we presume a level of dishonesty in people because we don't i don't know the value system that's within you mm-hmm. even if you say you have a particular value system i can't possibly know that so i think all of this is important for that
1: i think um, maybe jeremy is saying that china, uh, america is more like china uh in your illustration than maybe you uh, yeah. let on because you were you were contrasting. America with China, and China's got sure. a lot more corruption than America, and the the, the Chinese economists observed that things work here uh, better right. because we have more honesty and integrity here. And Ch- maybe Jeremy's point is that we have a lot less honesty and integrity than, than your illustration made it yeah. out to be. We actually have a team of lawyers enforcing things here sure. at, behind transactions. Sure, sure. You sure. probably grant that point.
2: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm not saying every person in America is good because we're capitalists or anything like that, or that we can assume that. That's better. I'm saying that it's going to, we have to at least have the vestiges of those interests. It's all a matter of degrees. You know, I, I think most people have some dishonesty. Most people are as somewhat greedy. We have those kind of inclinations in us. We have opportunities. You kind of have power. You know, we talk about in the, in the political sphere, power is this, um, currency, obviously in the business sphere, it's Mm -hmm. money, uh, and power is maybe about getting more money,
0: mm-hmm.
2: money is about getting more power if you're in politics. Uh, but it's all it, both of those inclinations are ungodly. They're not the gospel. Um, and I, and when Jesus comes back, I, I just don't think anything's ever going to fix it. We're never going to have a society that we're just all going to stand around and high five each other, like we did it yeah. because sin's always going to be in our midst and we're always in a fallen world. Uh, Jesus talks so about the kingdom being like yeast worked into 60 pounds of dough. So there ought to be Mm. not an, not an overt, like a voter block, not people turning out in the streets, but there ought to be almost this imperceptible change in society that we start to notice. People are more honest. They're more faithful. They start to have, you start to find that odd captain of industry who decides to double all of his employees' salaries. And. Uh, you know, do, do crazy stuff like that. That's an, that's, you start getting this whiff of the gospel, mm-hmm. but it, uh, I, I, on the other side, and, and my concern is, is that when we begin to argue for, for checks and balances against say captains of industry and CEOs and all of those, then we, we might be grasping at power on the other side. And mm-hmm. then, you know, communist revolutions and stuff. Hey man, I read the communist manifesto and I'm like, yes, you know. Uh, John Ruskin, amazing economist, uh, economic thinker, but not as, you know, not atheistic. He's like, Hey, if we're Christians, you know, why are we okay with getting rich on the back of somebody who's poor? Mm-hmm. And I agree with that. And I may make a few enemies by asking people to read that book, you know, his, um, unto this last, so yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. I'm just saying that if where there is commerce where there is trade so let's just go let's not look at capitalism let's let's just look at some feudal society where we're trading in livestock and pieces of gold and all of that that society can't function unless there's at least some sort of ethic within the individuals if we presume that everybody is out to get for themselves and that they will Mess somebody over the first chance they get just individual transactions will never be that society will never be able to generate the kind of health that will allow everybody to have 2000 calories a day a day to eat. Mm -hmm. And that's all I'm concerned.
1: And your point is that the, the societies which have that meager basic level of integrity actually have it because of the influence of the gospel on those societies, you're making
2: this grand historical argument, right? There may be other places. Like there are places with honor, shame, honor, shame cultures work Mm -hmm. without the gospel. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, so those societies, like where if you mess somebody over and you're caught, you and your family and your family's family are all blacklisted from then on. Those, those societies work, but they work at the expense of the individual. And at the expense of a basic sense of justice so yeah those there are societies that that allow for commerce to work um so say korea japan these others these are honor shame cultures they seem to be making it work china because they're communist they have undercut those those inherited values uh, what communism does is it, it just raises the you know the value system in place to the ground it destroys the local ethos imposes an alien ethos but that ethos of you know the rejection of property ownership and communal ownership of everything it doesn't work one and two it begins it leaves people with no alternative ethos so when communist Dictatorships fail. You're left with nothing but kleptocracy in every case that I'm aware of. Mm -hmm. So that, I guess that's what I'm saying is yes. You don't need the gospel to keep a society on the rails. You can impose an honor, shame. You can't do it from outside though. It has to have grown up from within.
0: Yeah. So I think, um, one, one challenge that kind of bothers me typically when people talk about what's the ideal society, right. Yeah. Is. There is no good example, you know, and you mentioned this at the end of last week's podcast. If anyone out there, I'm making a call, you know, yeah. sending a, a beacon out into space. If anyone out there has a better model for society, let me know. And, and I will agree, I don't think that there is anywhere um, in on this earth that has maybe created a perfect model for society, both an economic model and a political model. And, I guess a kind of personal faith model as well. Um, and so, but I don't like that most Americans therefore points to the American way. Uh And these comments aren't, of, of today aren't pointing at you and your beliefs, but they're kind of pointing at comments you made that I feel like echo a general sentiment of the typical American and the typical American Uh Christian. And, um. And our so, way is the best, our, right. yeah. yeah. And, and that's and, a great, and, someone, and I can see why you would see that. Yeah. And if someone tries to argue that the American way isn't the best, then a lot of people will say, well, show me, show me a way that's better. And, and just because our way is pretty good. Most of the time, especially if you're white, especially if you're male, especially if you don't live paycheck to paycheck, but more than half of America do not fall into any or all of those three buckets and it can be a very painful, um, existence for, for those folks. So I, my answer to your, to your call, um, you know, what is, what is a better site? Well, I don't, I don't have an answer to a certain extent, but I would say first and foremost, the subset group of us that are trying to follow the way of Jesus. Um, you know, there's a, a phrase, uh, uh, that. I heard one time that I really like, and it says, you know, do for one what you wish you could do for all. And, uh, and I think there are so many, uh, Christians out there in, in America who are doing that day to day. They're serving in ministries. They're, you know, helping, um, disadvantaged folks. They're, they're offering up their lives as living sacrifices. And, and I love to see that. I'm, you know, I know all, all three of us are, uh, I'm sure Alex as well, um, are involved in, in certain local, um, opportunities to serve and kind of be the, uh, the physical manifestation of of Jesus. And so that was kind of a, a, a phrase somebody invented, but it, I think it comes back to a biblical verse of, you know, what do to the least of these, um, as if you're doing it to me, right. Is what Jesus calls us to do. And so As believers, I would I would say you know that should guide us. But as a society, obviously we can't we can't hold that standard to everyone in America, even people who might say that they're Christians but are not are 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 struggling with still defining that in whatever place they're at in their faith journey. Um, And then and then obviously people who uh, you know are are not. committed you know who who have no interest in in the gospel so to speak um but uh so yeah we as believers should be the yeast and i love that imagery i didn't catch i didn't really catch the tie in or the imagery last week but when you just said it working right. the yeast into 60 pounds of dough and maybe it helped that uh you know you were sh- actually showing me the That's what the, the bread yeah, that you poorly. were baking you yeah. know you're your personal, uh, yeast over there, um, that you served, uh, served us this morning, uh, which was delicious. Thank you. And, um, and so, yeah, I think as, uh, as believers, that's the posture we should have and, and the, the thing that, that God really put on my heart over the past couple of years with, um, you know, we've all, I think all of us listeners out there can agree that we've been through a lot the past two years. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I, I would expect, and, and honestly, even hope that, that God has spoken to us in ways that he never has before and grabbed our heart in new ways that he never has before and shown us new things that we've never seen before over these past two years. And so I know that that is certainly true for me in so many ways. And, uh, I'm thankful more than anything that I felt like I was able to root these past two years in consistent uh, time just focused on reading scripture. And I'll be completely honest, uh, as, as I had a lot of more time sitting at home, not doing a whole lot of other things. Uh, I was able to to dedicate a little bit more time, um, focused on scripture and just kind of letting, uh, Jesus kind of show me, uh, what, what he wants to show me without any preconceived notions. And it was very challenging because. I felt like almost every day, every morning, uh, sipping my espresso, um, I would read something and I would be like, what did Jesus just say? Because (laughs) that honestly, I feel like contradicts what I've been taught going to church. Sorry, Kent, you are my (laughs) faithful pastor. And, (laughs) and, um, what did Kent teach me? No, I'm (laughs) kidding. Just, just, you know, 25 years of, 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 various sermons. I'll will say it was mostly those online podcast sermons that I was right, listening to. Right. You I can't trust podcasts. Avoid the podcast. Um but but it kind of wrecked me in a good way. And and so just really kind of hit a reset button to say what what things have I felt like I've learned through just sitting in church and I guess, you know, as they say, having your ears tickled like um that you know they uh, I think Paul, I don't, I don't, I don't know the verses, but I know that there's some verses that kind of comment on, um, the kind of ear tickling mentality. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And First Timothy. Yeah. And so, um, uh, that was really good for me, but what stuck out to me personally, more than anything over these past couple of years is the concept of loving your enemy. Yeah. And, um, and you hit, you mentioned, uh, this a little bit, um, uh. Uh, Last week, and and you said it in an interesting way that I'd never heard. And I thought it was really great. Um, You I can't remember exactly what you said, but you said our our you defined our enemy in an interesting way. I don't know if you remember. I don't. Yeah. But Um, but that has been really powerful to me because it's easy for me to um, uh, demonize. Yeah. Those that have ideas that I oppose or really it's just those with power. And uh, yeah. So in, in conclusion, um, learning felt like more than anything, learning a lot around, okay, I really do need to love, love my enemy. Right. And, uh, how, how I define my enemy. I mean, at the end of the day, it may just be people who I disagree with or people who take actions and, and what I've unfortunately felt stirring in my heart over the past couple of years is that, uh, seeing those who proclaim the name of Jesus and then act in ways that breaks my heart, uh, starting to think like, is that guy, uh, my enemy, because he's up here saying in the name of Jesus, uh, I, you know, and then saying things that feel very hurtful to me. Um, and, uh, yeah, so just kind of processing through that, Uh um, and. So that's been, been part of my journey and I'm still processing through that. And I will say that where I'm at now is, is a place of still, still learning and growing. But I think also just realizing, um, as a, a culture of Christians in America, we all have different thoughts on what our day-to-day life should be, what type of, what flavor of yeast we should be um maybe even our interpretation of scripture and certainly our uh, way that politics you know should play out in in our society and so i think that 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 diversity of thought is is a good thing um i think that uh, it's a good test to whether yeah. we love
1: one another and whether yeah. we can put christ first
0: and um yeah and so the challenge that i'm kind of giving myself in this this new this next season 2022 is yeah, how do I have that that posture of love toward uh-huh. everybody, toward uh, folks who do not have a faith, toward folks who have a very strong faith that is uh, has a lot of what you know weird ideas that maybe I don't agree with. Or the hardest part is people who have a faith that believe very strongly things that I also felt like I kind of used to believe, and I have changed my opinions on. Um, for example, the the conversation around homosexuality right um that's a whole nother topic for a whole yeah. nother day Brought but, your can opener yeah but um but I would say that uh, over time my perspective on that has shifted and I would have had a very strong opinion a few years ago on one side and now I would say uh, that I have an opinion on on the other side and and my thought is that it's still rooted in Uh, Jesus' call for us to love everyone, including our neighbor, including our family, including our enemy. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, So yeah, I'll conclude it. Love your enemies is a great point to end on.
1: Thanks for being with us, Jeremy. And uh, any of our other listeners out there who would like fresh bread, come and join us. uh, (laughs) Come and reach out to us, join us, and you too can have fresh bread.